Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that we can come here and we can worship you and that we have hope. And we have hope because Christ is risen from the grave. God, just be with us. Just allow us to feel your presence this morning, Lord, and just touch our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. My name is Nate Todd. I'm one of the assistant pastors at Harmony Bible Church in Burlington, Iowa. And I just want to say thank you. Thanks for letting me be here today. It's a pleasure to be with you all. I brought with me my wife and my five kids. And if you guys have noticed, when a pastor from Harmony comes, he likes to bring a bunch of kids with him. So we figured out that the best way to grow a church is within. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> grow your church from within. So full disclosure, I've never been to Kelowna, Iowa before, but I'm an expert. A quick Google search told me everything that I need to know. <laughs> Kelowna, Iowa is the quilt capital of Iowa. Your, your town's website describes it like this. Known as the quilt capital of Iowa, Kelowna itself is like a quilt, one full of unique old and new patterns. The country's towns, the country town's rich pioneer heritage is proudly displayed as you tour our community. Now, that is a very lovely description. Unfortunately, we did not get a chance to go through your guys' town, but I'm sure you guys have a beautiful, amazing town. So I grew up in a little town in Illinois. How many Illini fans do we have in here? Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. I really am a decent guy, okay? I grew up in a little town in, in Illinois, and it's actually half the size of Kelowna. I, I fully understand what it means to have a rich heritage in a small farming community, what it means to be a, have a town full of honest, hardworking people who hold tight to what they believe in, and the values that have been passed down from generation to generation. I think it's awesome, and I wouldn't trade my small town roots for anything, and I know you guys probably wouldn't either. So today, we're going to be talking about righteousness. Righteousness is simply being right with God or being justified before God. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then you are only righteous before a holy God because of the precious blood of our Savior. The only way to be right with God, the Father, is to have a personal relationship with his son, Jesus. As believers, this is something we profess. This is something that we recite so easily over and over again. But my question today is, do we actually believe this? Do we live this out in our lives? We know it's true in our head, but do we believe it in our hearts? Do we show up to church buildings, serving in our communities, and pouring out into other people, following rules and living good lives? Do we do this because we are righteous, because of Jesus, or because we're trying to earn our righteousness? Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians 3. Today, we'll be looking at verses 2 through 10. Now, the book of Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Philippi. Before we dive into this passage, I, I want to give us a little context here of what's going on. In chapter 1, we see Paul addressing this letter to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. We see him talk to the overseers and the deacons. Paul also mentions how these saints have partnered 
with him in the gospel from the very beginning. This is very important for us to realize. Paul is talking to a group of solid believers. He's talking to the church crowd. He's talking to the Wednesday night and twice on Sunday crew, okay? He's talking to the church. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's take a look at Philippians 3, 2 through 10. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Let's start out by looking at verses two and three. Paul warns these believers in Philippi to watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators. Kind of sounds like a professional wrestling team, doesn't it? Dogs, evildoers, and mutilators. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Judaizers. As one description tells us, Judaizers were Jewish Christians who insisted that Gentile Christians must submit to the Mosaic law, including circumcision. We can now see why Paul is telling us to watch out for the dogs. These dogs, the Judaizers, were trying to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were saying that a believer had to be circumcised as well as trusting in Christ as the Messiah. But anytime someone is trying to add to the gospel, what they are actually doing is taking away from the gospel. They are diminishing the finished work of Christ, saying that Christ alone is not enough. But in verse 3, Paul uses the Judaizers' own language against them. He says that faith in Jesus Christ is about the circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. In Romans 4, verses 9 through 12, we read, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make them the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
The only way that a person is made right with God is through a heart change, by placing their faith in Jesus Christ alone. But what Paul is saying is that even before Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the real sign that a person was devoted to the Lord was through faith. It was a matter of the heart. Abraham was the perfect example of this. He was counted as righteous because of the faith in God that he had before his circumcision of the flesh. And he is the example that regardless of whether or not something is done in the flesh, the real change that matters is the change in the heart. Yes, circumcision was something that was important as a sign of faith and an act of obedience. But again, the real change that really mattered was the heart change. Man has never and will never be able to save himself. Circumcision of the flesh was something that man did, but circumcision of the heart is something that Christ does. He is the only one that can truly change a heart. Moving on to verses four through six, I love how we get to see Paul's personality come alive here. He says in verse four, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If a person could earn his own righteousness, Paul would have been at the top of that list. He says, if you think you're trying to earn it, look what I was trying to do. He breaks his fleshly accomplishments down into two categories. First, he starts by telling us who he was. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul was born into his fleshly accomplishments. He had great bloodlines, he had a rich heritage, and his parents made sure that he had the best education. Paul was one of the elites, if you will. He had the genes and he had the background. Second, we see Paul give us a list of what he did. Paul says, to the law, a Pharisee, to zeal, a persecutor of the church, to righteousness under the law, blameless. Again, I love Paul's personality come alive here. He's not saying he was blameless as if he was bragging. He was actually saying, look how stupid I was to think that that really mattered. Paul chose to live a strict life as a Pharisee, following hundreds of commandments. He persecuted the church for the law, and he, considered by, he was considered by his peers to be blameless. And that was due to his devotion to the Torah. He's telling us to look back at all of his credentials. Not only did Paul come from good stock, he also went out and he made a name for himself. He was a somebody because of who he was, and he was a somebody because of what he did. But when we get to verse 7, we see a but. So, When you guys are reading your Bibles and you see the word but, that is a time to perk up because you're getting ready to read something extra important. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The SV Study Bible says, what formerly went into Paul's gain column, his power, his position, and performance now goes into the loss column. In verses seven and eight, Paul is telling the church at Philippi for the sake of Jesus Christ his identity, and who he was and what he did, it was rubbish. Now, Paul gets a little colorful with his language here. Rubbish is actually translated into 
waste or dung or manure. All that he counted as righteousness before was rubbish. It was manure. He counted it all as a loss so that he may gain Christ. Now, this reminds me of a song from when I was in high school from a band named Lincoln Park. I don't know if any of you guys remember the band Lincoln Park. If you don't, then I don't really suggest going out and looking them up and listening. But this reminds me of one of their songs. It was called In the End. And the song lyrics go like this. It says, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't even matter, excuse me. Paul tried so hard, but his efforts on his own, they were useless. They didn't matter. What did matter is that he gained Christ. As we move on, I want to point out the main reason why we are looking at this passage today. And the main reason why you're looking at this passage today is verse 9. Paul tells us that he does not have a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but his righteousness is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. What Paul once thought was righteousness in who he was and what he did, it was not righteousness at all. It was all rubbish. It was all dung. It was all manure. Now, this is beautiful. Paul shows us that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what our last name is, how often we go to church, or how hard we try to be perfect. None of that is enough to save us. None of that is enough to get us into heaven. Now, this is beautiful because Paul goes on and gives us a solution. Righteousness comes by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Theologian Wayne Grudem helps us understand this. He, he points out 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Grudem explains it like this. He says, this means that God thought of Christ as sin and treated him as sin, which because of God's justice would call forth God's wrath upon Christ. This was for our benefit. For just as God counted our sin as belonging to Christ, he crowned Christ's righteousness as belonging to us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know where you're at right now in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe you have never placed your relationship, maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you think you can work your way to heaven. Maybe you think you can earn your salvation. But I want us to take a look at Paul and his example in this book and this holy word of God that we have right before us and realize that you can't do it. We cannot earn it. Because of our sin, we are separated from a holy God. And the only way to be united with God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth. He died. He was buried and he was raised again, and he is alive today. And if you place your faith in him, then you will have eternal life with him forever. The only way to be righteous is to trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, if you are a recent convert or if you've been trusting Christ 
for your salvation and for your righteousness for decades. I just want to say praise God. That's awesome. But where, where do we go from here? We've now reached the point in our passage to where we say, okay, what's the application? What's next? What can we learn? Well, first, we need to look out for the dogs. Remember who I said Paul was writing this letter to? He was writing this letter to a group of believers. He was writing this letter to his friends in Philippi, to the leaders and to the members of the church. He wasn't evangelizing in this letter. He was teaching. He was telling the people that partnered in him in the, with him in the gospel from the very beginning to look out for those who would try to persuade you that righteousness can be found in anything other than Christ alone. For the saints of Philippi, they were to be on the lookout for the Judaizers, those that would add circumcision to the gospel. Now in 2023 in Kelowna, Iowa and surrounding communities, I don't think we have too much of a threat of people wanting to add circumcision to the gospel. But I think we do have our own issues to consider today. So who are the dogs that we have to watch out for? Well, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, podcasts, TV, music, books, friends, family, coworkers, the list could go on. Then them of themselves are not bad things, but that's where the dogs, they can creep in. If you are not watchful and careful, you could easily be influenced by something that is not in line with God's word. But honestly, for me, the biggest, ugliest dog that I have to watch out for is myself. I'll share more on that in just a little bit. So in 2023, what do we need to look out for, brothers and sisters? What's the message from the dogs that can lead us astray? Like Paul's warning, I think we need to be cautious of adding anything to the gospel, anything at all. Now, I know that Paul's list of accomplishments was prior to his conversion, but nonetheless, I think we can learn something from them. First, Paul spoke about why he thought his righteousness, or excuse me. First, Paul spoke about why he thought he was righteous and the reason being first who he was. We can see the same threats today. Maybe you see yourself as righteousness because of your family or the history of faith that goes along with your family, or your last name, or where you come from. The quilt capital of Iowa seems like a wonderful community full of rich heritage and amazing people with amazing families, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with those things. But those things cannot save you. Maybe you hold tight to your higher education or how intellectual you are, Maybe it's your title or your position or your job or maybe even where you go to church. But none of that stuff saves. When we place our identity in anything other than Jesus, we are trying to add to the gospel. But most likely, though, the real threat comes by what we think we can do to earn our salvation, to earn our righteousness. One possibility could be legalism. So in the case of legalism, it's not so much what we do, it's what 
we don't do. I have an old farmer friend of mine who has a saying. He said, I don't drink or chew or hang out with girls that do. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard that before. (laughs) It's a funny saying, but the reality is, is it's the truth of us trying to earn our righteousness on things that we are not doing. Another threat could be tradition, thinking the church that we grew up in, that's the way that it's supposed to be done, and that's the way that we still should be doing it. We have to be careful of how much weight we put in things like musical instruments and Christmas programs and interior designing and how we dress. Traditions are great. They're a great thing, but they cannot save us. Or maybe you're like me. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith, period. This is what God's word says, and I believe it. I know that I'm righteous before a holy God because of Jesus alone. But if I can be honest with you guys for a second, I struggle with trying to do everything perfect. I I strive to add perfection to the gospel, to rely on my own strength. I carry this weight on my shoulders that I try to do. I try to do things that make me righteous. I try to be perfect. I carry a weight on my shoulders that I have to do everything perfect, and when I don't, then comes the condemnation, and that condemnation comes from my toughest critic, and that toughest critic is myself. My identity and my righteousness are in Christ alone. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Because of God's love and grace through Jesus, I am his child but I still struggle. I heard a message one time that describes what I go through and maybe what some of you go through. The pastor said that he wrestles with the feeling that if he messes up, that God is going to get him. That not if, but when he makes mistake, God is gonna be ready, waiting to make him pay. But this pastor went on and he said that God is not going to get him because God already got Jesus for him. Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, for those of us who are in Christ, we know that we are no longer under condemnation. But does that mean that we can do whatever we want? No. There are consequences for our actions, for our sins. Our lead pastor says that Obedience is a consequence of salvation, not a condition. We should live obedient lives, not to just avoid the consequences of sin, but because Jesus loved us enough to save us. But friends, please remember with me that while obedience is a good thing, it can earn us no righteousness. And if obedience is driven by attempts to receive this righteousness, then it is nothing but rubbish. It is nothing but manure. If we do this, we are no different than the Judaizers who are relying on their own flesh. So our first takeaway this morning was to look out for those dogs. It's a warning to be watchful for anything that can stand in the way of us seeking, anything that can stand in our way of us seeking Jesus and Jesus alone for our righteousness. 
The second point I want to talk to you about is in verse 10. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The second point here in this passage is that we should desire to know God. John MacArthur describes it like this. He says, Paul had great visions of God and great revelations from God, yet he was not satisfied. He had given up his own righteousness derived from the law and was growing in the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. But still he longed to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul was given great visions and revelations. Romans 1.1 tells us that Paul was called to be an apostle. He was set apart for the gospel. Paul had the authority to write scripture through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul got to encounter Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. I don't know if there's a man out there who has lived a life that could be closer to God than what Paul was. But what did Paul desire? That he may know the Lord. Paul had an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus and he wanted more. So how do we get to know someone better? Well, we spend time with them. We talk to them. We learn more about them. We talk to others that we trust about that person. I have a friend who refers to our Christian walk as a three-legged stool. The three legs of that stool are prayer, time in the word, and fellowship with other believers. The point of this is if we take one of those legs away, what's gonna happen to that stool? It's gonna fall. We need all these things in our Christian walk. We need to be devoted to knowing our Lord through his word and through spending intimate time with him in prayer. We also need to learn about him through fellowship with other believers. Look out across this room, guys. You guys are so blessed to have one another. To encourage one another, to share your struggles, to spur one another on, and to hold each other accountable. And to just sit and listen to each other. But ultimately, you can lean on each other for your growth in your relationship with Jesus. I found out in my life, it is far better to reach out and to share your heart with those you trust than to try to figure it out on your own. It's so important to reach out to your brothers and sisters. They will speak truth and love to you. But remember that your relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship. There's nothing that is more important than knowing him and investing your time and energy into that relationship. The more you know him, the more you will want to know him. So why should we desire to know the Lord? Well, the gift of salvation and righteousness was not free. It cost our Lord Jesus his life. It should be the desire of our hearts to know the one who gave up everything for us. Paul talks about wanting to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. As one commentator points out, this is about Christ sustaining us in our new life, leaning into him for our strength, receiving sacred intimacy, and taking up our cross to develop a deeper knowledge of Christ. As we close, I want to emphasize that we can know our Lord better 
when we desire to be more like him. As believers, our Heavenly Father wants us to be more like Jesus. This can include sanctification and persecution, two things that the Apostle Paul was very familiar with. And as believers, we too will be sanctified and we will face persecution. But Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice how he didn't say some things. No, he, notice how he didn't say a few things. No, he says all things. All things includes the fun, easy things, and all things include the hard, messy things. God is in control. He has a sovereign purpose and a plan for us. And Paul reminds us that we are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Our righteousness comes from Jesus alone by grace through faith, but should be the desire of our hearts to be more like our perfect Savior, no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. One of my biggest struggles is that I idolize comfort. So naturally, my sanctification process includes me being uncomfortable. This is giving up control and trusting that Jesus' way is better than my way. Folks, we have to die to ourselves and walk in this newness of life that we have. Again, obedience is not what saves us, but it should be, but we should be obedient because we are saved. The more we desire to be like Christ, the, more, the closer we walk with him, the more we feel his presence, the more we will know him. We talked in great length today about how righteousness is through Jesus alone. When we accept Jesus, we receive this righteousness and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. But we don't get swept up to heaven immediately, do we? As soon as we get converted, we're not, we don't just get carried up in the clouds. No, we have a purpose. We are called to tell others about Jesus. But also, in our suffering for the sake of the gospel, we are being witnesses of what it means to be fully reliant on Jesus Christ. Folks, we are called to be disciples who make disciples. The gift of righteousness is great news, and we have been called to live this good news out in our lives and to share this good news with others, no matter what that cost is. We need to be sharing the gospel with everyone. Jesus is our example, and we are to be imitators of him. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if your life has been transformed by his blood and your righteousness is secure in him, remember that he is all that you need. But don't let any of those dogs in. If we have learned anything from Paul, it's that we should desire to know God more, dying to ourselves for our own good and ultimately for his glory. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you that there's a way. We thank you that there's a way to be with you for all of eternity, and that is through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can't earn our righteousness because if it was up to us, Lord, we'd fail every time. And we just thank you that we have this righteousness through your son, Jesus, God. 
We just pray that uh, your word, as we meditated on this week, that it, it will just move us, that it will transform our hearts, and uh, that we will just be encouraged to reach out to others, to share this gospel, and to live our lives in obedience because you paid an ultimate price for us, and we just love you that much. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray.